This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, how you doing? Um, got a special weekend edition of the podcast. Uh, I mean, this is this is a massive weekend. I mean, it's not every day the Knicks fire their coach, only once every, once every two years. Um... So we got an episode with JB coming up to follow up my little rant from uh, Friday night. Uh, but first, before we get to that, a few words from our friends. You know them well, Vivid Seats. So Vivid Seats is your source for tickets, um, not only this holiday season, but moving forward. I mean, it's a great it's a great thing. They have an app. You go on the App Store, Google Play, or whatever. You download it, and uh, you're automatically enrolled in their rewards loyalty program. And every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. Which is great because they have tickets for everything you need, theater, um, Knicks games, uh, whatever sporting event you want. Uh, I guarantee you Jets and Giants tickets will be at a, a nice discount as we're coming down uh, the, the pike here. Um, maybe Knicks games will get more expensive as uh, Mike Miller revamps things with the roster. Who knows? We'll, we'll, see, uh, we'll see what lies in store. Um, last but not least, of course, use promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. One more time for Vivid Seats, enter promo code O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E at checkout to receive a discount of up to <laughs> Here we are. Uh, so, what are we going to talk about today? You want to talk about uh, Mike, some of Mike Miller's uh, G League team statistics? How many uh, how many threes per game they they put up? Because clearly that's that's what that's what ma- that's what matters today. Um, no, I know. Well, you know, it's funny. Is I was thinking to myself, these sort of you know everyone does does it right where you have a coaching change or like a big trade and it's always like emergency pod and i know as someone who listens to those i always am like oh yeah this is the one i have to listen to and then i think back like all right a lot of that stuff that like right in the moment you talk about usually actually doesn't matter as much as you think so i was thinking to myself how do we avoid doing that today but we'll, we'll see if we can well <laughs> i'm keeping this all in by the way this, this is the pod i did this with jeremy after the um i think it was the bucks loss where he just started riffing and i'm like we're this is the pod this is we're, we're not doing an intro this is this is the pod um i don't know i don't know i you know there's so many god there's so many different directions that i i feel like we could go to start out and i i actually want to start by asking you so i actually over the past year and a half i think both of us have been accused at different times of being um overly optimistic about this team is that fair to say yes 
Yes. And you have started to turn, um, let's say, a new leaf uh, about, I don't know, uh, a month or so ago. Um, and yesterday, um, I, what was the moment? It was uh, after, so like he had gotten, he had gotten fired and uh, the report, then, then a report came out. Um, from I guess the Athletic, uh, I think it was the Athletic that a bunch of like Cleveland players, um, uh, were like I don't know, not happy that without Jim, uh, whatever the the head coach, the the Mich- the old guy from Michigan whose name is escaping me at the moment was like coaching them like a college team, and I sent out a tweet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I sent out a tweet, um, something to the effect of like, oh, it's the bad day for teams with shitty owners or a good day for people who think that it all starts at the top or, or something like that. And I was thinking actually about that this morning. Um, and I'm like, if someone sent that tweet out a year ago, I probably would have gotten really defensive and really mad at that person. And I can't tell. I mean, it's not like, you know, this is like my first year or two as a Nick fan, I've been do you know been invested in this team for th- thirty years. The last twenty of which have been miserable. So it's most of which have been miserable. So it's not like I'm all of a sudden becoming jaded. I I don't know. Is it like I don't know. I don't. Am I being? Am I letting? Am I just reading more media stuff and it's seeping in? Am I finally wising up? Um, not that I don't have hope, and we'll get into that because uh, I think I probably have significantly more hope at this point than you, but. I don't know what, what what's happened to me, JB. What have you done to me? I'm blaming you for this. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say it's, we were going to try to record a pod earlier this week, but you could argue we were maybe like two weeks late. Where I think there was a real moment there where you were holding on to optimism longer than me. Where I think what you're saying is now in the last like week. Um, we're a little closer in terms of, you know, how we feel about, it really comes down to how we feel about just like the overall management structure, um, from the top down to Fizdale. Cause I think the main point that I found myself on, um, I guess a different viewpoint than you was kind of this concept of how, how much can we read into that? You know, the Knicks would have these games where they'd fall down by a lot early and then rather than having what happened in the last two games, you know, leading to the firing, they would yeah. actually, you know, show some fight and come back. And <laughs> and in my mind, and it's funny because a lot of friends I have who don't like basketball, the biggest thing that they complain to me about the sport is they'll say, why does it matter? Why are we sitting here in the second quarter caring what happens? A team is up 12 when we know that in the third or fourth quarter, the other team's going to make a run, especially nowadays with the three pointers, that that lead's going to mean nothing. Or they're, they're up by 20, and then, you know, inevitably the other team's going to make a run. They're going to make it to six or five, and then, you know, they'll lose by nine. And I think for me, it was always how much is it that this team is just doing what is sort of inevitable in the league that, you know, the, the team with the big lead kind of takes the foot off the pedal, then, you know, then the team losing puts in like a run for good measure and then they lose. How much was it just sort of the natural 
progression of sort of how how the game flows and runs versus a sign that they, you know, kind of hadn't given up the rope or hadn't given up on Fizdale. And were these last two games proof that they did? And I guess in my mind, it's just I just don't look at it that way. I just look at it as I think they're professional players. They have self-interest to play a certain way. I don't think they're ever really quitting on anyone, but I also don't really take a lot of stock into that. You know, there's a difference between quitting and being entirely 100% focused. Like I think as people, we do it every day, right? I, like you go to work. I you love have that you said that. You, you're just you're just having a average day, right? Like you're you're not you're definitely not mailing it in, but you're also not like thinking the night before about every little tiny detail to make sure you perform at your highest level. You're not there with complete focus, not thinking about everything else. And I think it's more that where they stand than it was that they quit or it was that they were kind of quote fighting for Fizdale. See, this is where this is where the the unique bar that Knicks fans kind of have not set for ourselves, but where it's kind of been set for us um, from you know, so many just god awful teams over the last twenty years. Because I feel like we've and we've watched a lot of those games where the team on the floor took that next step to actually like almost actively not caring. Like we we've seen a lot of seasons um, like that. And you're a thousand percent right. We haven't seen that. I'll, I'll turn for this to our our old um, our resident Yoda uh, Clarence Gaines, <laughs> who said. I think he said it after the Bucks game. Uh, he's like, I, I didn't see a team that gave up. I saw a, a team that got their ass kicked. But, but to your point, and I think this is something that maybe I have been far too willing to overlook. Um, these are professionals, and I know the Bucks are, you know, arguably the most talented team in the league, or at least the most well-constructed for their talent and the Knicks are whatever, whether you think they're the least talented, the bottom five talent, bottom 10, they're, they're ill-constructed and and the talent is not great either, which we'll of course get to as well. Um, Like even that disparity, you have it in you as an NBA team to not get your ass kicked. And I'm not even talking about like lose by 44 because that was, or whatever they ended up losing by that, that was another level, but just like to, I mean, I think they were down by like 15 or 16 after, or at the beginning of the second quarter. And that's happened several times this year. And I've, I've been doing something that, so in your absence, I have tried to pick up the slack with the film stuff. And I go back now in the mornings and I spend a lot of my time watching, you know, individual plays. Um, and not even not like highlight plays. I just I'll like go back and watch the other teams like first six three point attempts or first eight three point attempts of the game, right? When when the right. Knicks should theoretically be like on their like you know at their on their best behavior. And I went back and I watched it from um, did that for the Nuggets game, and it's like there's little there's a lack of sense of urgency. Um, and I think that's what you're talking about. And it's not, from, and the crazy thing, it's not from guys like um, Randall. I mean, that happens a lot too, which again, I keep saying, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, I'm sure we'll get to Randall. Um, it's, it was from guys, it was like from Taj, like Taj not fighting 
around a screen hard enough or Marcus Morris not making a little bit of an extra effort to get out to a shooter. It's like, you know, and then you, and then you hear that Marcus Morris is leading a players only press conference theoretically in support of Fisdale. Um, I, so it's funny cause you've been very critical on Mills, but it sounds like we're both in agreement that this, this was the right move. Are you, do you feel like this was the right move at this time? Yeah, well, and I think that's the other part that's that's complicated about it in terms of um, properly assigning blame, I guess, is that the reason why I've been, I guess, extra vocal about Mills this the beginning of the season wasn't just because I decided, well, this is the time to be vocal about him. It was because I feel like as the Knicks kept losing and we had the press conference after the first 10 games um, – there's just always been this underlying current of how long does Fisdale last if they keep losing like this? And I just felt like, well, if, if that's going to be the underlying conversation about Fisdale, you can't have that conversation without talking about Steve Mills and even Scott Perry. And a lot of people think Scott Perry kind of gets off here. I think the reason why is because Mills has a longer track record. We can talk about how, you know, and this is another point I think we'll get to about the rebuilding you know, we could talk about the rebuild being kind of early in the process, but you can't completely say that with Mills because even if you say, okay, obviously all that stuff from way back in the day that somehow was forgiven with Isaiah and everything, even if you push all that aside and say, okay, we gave him, we're going to give him a clean slate when he came back after the Knicks conveniently had their one stretch of competitive basketball under Dolan. Um, you have to say when, you know, he had Kristaps Porzingis, he signed Tim Hardaway Jr. And then it was, it was, you know, Phil's, I guess, last pick, but he had Frank Nielakina. So they had a young group that coming off, you know, bad seasons like we're seeing now that that's really when the rebuild starts. The fact that the timeline got sort of pushed back because they traded Perzingis and then obviously Hardaway Jr. That doesn't mean that he gets to restart his record of trying to rebuild the team. Those other years still count. So I think that's why to me it was, it's just important to keep that context when thinking about Fisdale and then saying, well, if Mills and Perry got to have this thorough search where they interviewed 11 candidates. And I realized some of those candidates were people like Kenny Smith. Um, <laughs> Who might, if might as well to, be the coach of the team right now. Right. <laughs> but if they, it's showing you, or no, this is a better way to put it. Cause this is, I guess the main critique I have of them. The, we were optimistic last year because I think a lot of Knicks fans felt like for once the thinking was solid. The idea that you're going to ho- build through the draft in the sense of you're not going to trade draft picks for a quote quick fix. You're not going to, um, if you miss on these superstar free agents, sign anyone to like a ridiculously bad contract. We can argue they didn't find the right players, but they weren't going to put themselves in long cap hell. Yeah. And they actually have young players they're investing in. Um, but. <sighs> It's the execution of taking those pieces and turning into a competitive team or spending the time to do a thorough coaching search and picking a guy who isn't just the guy to attract kind of free agents and coach a more veteran team, which I think he would be better fit for, but a guy that's also 
because you're more likely to have a young team able to develop a young team. And I think that's where the failure was. And I think that's why Fisdale didn't fit. And that's why we are where we are today. And, and to you, to that point, um, and I, I kind of wrote this yesterday and it, it this is the, I think it, it really came together to, for me for really, truly for the first time, We've been saying, I've been saying, I don't want to group you into my nonsense. I've been saying since they made these signings that they must know more than we do about these players. And basically that was me buying into, and, and I, don't, I don't know what words they use, but it was, it has been made clear to us or it, it, it is, it has been put out there for us to believe that this was anything but a patch job um when you know KD and Kyrie said no that this was like there was a months worth of research and vetting that went into these particular players and what they were going to be capable of in terms of adjusting their games, um, in terms of maybe sacrificing, in terms of maybe all of the things that it takes to actually, you know, build a winner. And when they when they put together the roster over the summer and everybody was like, oh, this is going to be a disaster. Look at the guys that they got. If you if you put this roster, you know, on the floor based on what they've done throughout their careers and how they've played throughout their careers, it's going to be a disaster. And I looked at it and I acknowledged that. So my thinking automatically was, well, yeah, but clearly they they have done like they know that these guys are willing to do more than they've shown or capable of doing more than they've shown, because otherwise it looks like and I said this after the Denver game, um, it looks like they just threw a bunch of shit against the wall and to, to the well, also or sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, just to finish up the point to relate it to Fizz. If there was any doubt that Fizz was going to be able to coalesce this group into something greater than the sum of its parts, which is the thing I've been saying all along was going to be very, 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 very difficult to do, then they should have gone out and not tried to build a team around like a power forward that has never really done the role that was being asked of him before and for which kind of everything hinged on and like go out and, you know, just sign role players or just sign guys who are like good vet mentors, run your kids out there, bring up Mike Miller, um, you know, focus on the development angle. Don't, 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 um, what's the, what's the way to put it? Don't care what people are going to say about the fact that you had to, you know, come back with your tail between your legs. And then that line of thinking is what gets me to the point that we always get to eventually in these conversations, which is Dolan, which is that, and this is where I'm, I'm not about to sit here and defend Steve, uh, Steve Mills and Scott Perry, but I can't help but think or ask myself, is it possible that they wish they could have gone a different route and just felt like they couldn't because they would be fired unless they brought back some shiny object for their owner. And that's why I can't fully put blame on them either, um, which is why I think all of this ties together. And that's kind of where I'm at at this point. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. I think, um, oh, you know, to the question of, well, all right, so all that context said, Fizdale, 
you know, Fisdale still deserves critique for a lot of things is also true, right? Like we're not, I think that the point is I, especially on Twitter, you know, I've been focusing more on, I think there's enough people out there. I mean, I see the conversation every single game about what Fisdale is not doing to uh, the fans liking in terms of the basketball things. I mean, we've talked at nauseum about rotational things. I think we all believe with Frank Nielakina, you know, if you want to talk about development, I mean, Frank Nielakina, I think that's more on Fisdale than it is on anyone else in the organization in terms of making sure he plays the amount of minutes that he should play. And I think this year, because of Peyton's injury, we finally got to see it. Not because I think Fisdale decided that it was time to finally play Frank. I think, I mean, it's been, I guess, interesting that Trier hasn't played obviously recently, but we've seen sort of this general theme. If you look back over the year plus of him, um, liking players that are more of these kind of one-on-one you know, old fashioned, like I'm just going to go out there and kind of, kind of beat you rather than, you know, kind of cogs in, in any sort of system, which is obviously maybe the biggest indictment on Fizz that we never got to see, um, you know, the remblance of a system. And I'll say remblance because with the way the roster was stripped down from the beginning of last year, you know, I don't blame him that he doesn't have this smooth system working because he's had a lot of interchangeable pieces, but we haven't, we still to this day, like I think we would all say like a Fizdale run team is a team that's going to be kind of aggressive, try to force turnovers like there's get to certain, the basket, get to the line. Right. Like yeah. there's certain aspects we see, but we really still couldn't sit here and say, OK, well, he, we would be having a different conversation where we where we would say we saw what he was trying to do. But it was Mills and Perry who kept changing the parts or not giving them the right parts so he couldn't execute it. Unfortunately, I didn't really see completely what he's trying to even do. So I guess all of that I wanted to make sure is there and it's true. But it just comes back to, well, again, what, you know, how do you mix? And this is why everyone says to be successful, you have to be on the same line from the top bottom, which the Knicks told us over the past year that they were, they told us that a lot, but you have to have that or else you're not going to have an individual kind of succeed as a coach when, um, you know, when, when it seems like the roster fit doesn't, you know, doesn't match to what's conducive. I mean, you know, Zach Lowe put it in his, in his 10 things this week. And usually when he puts something in his 10 things, I feel like a lot of times it's, you know, something like, Oh, I didn't really think of it that way. And that's why I like to read his article, but he put the most obvious thing that every single Knicks fan has been saying since day one. How do you get Randall and put him next to Mitchell Robinson where that's the guy you're trying to develop and they just don't fit together. So it's stuff like that, that you're just like, it's really hard to, while you can pick all the things I just listed to blame Fisdale, you know, for where their record is at. I mean, where else would it be right now? I mean, I I just think to myself, they're four and 18. If they were a well-coached quote team and everything worked perfect, they're probably what eight in fourteen. Is that what we're open? Like, I think that that's the thing here that that's interesting about it. Well, and so a couple things on that, and it's like it it and listen, uh, Fisdale's been he's been bad. Um, like 
let's call a spade a spade here. He was brought here, and and you've said this. Uh, you said this before me. He was brought here to to help get the the two guys, or the, the one at that point. It was one guy and whoever that guy wanted to bring with him, and it ended up being that he wanted to bring Kyrie. Except Kyrie got other ideas, and then things happen the way they are. And how much are the injury did or didn't play into that, we'll never know f- fully. Um, although I have my my guess, um, and that like if I, and I, honestly, I don't even have as much of a problem with them going all in on let's do everything. Like we're hearing because again, when Fisdale was hired, it was April of of last year. The rumors about Durant started surfacing publicly. I want to say like in. In June, um, or or whereabouts, something like that, right? Yeah, you know, it's such a blur. I can't even remember and, now. What, my, was my, it really that early? But it, it was. Oh early. no, it, it I know for early. a fact it was yeah. definitely June. And my and my point is that the um, like if if those rumors started publicly surfacing in June, that means the Knicks started hearing whispers of that even earlier. So if you want to tell me they went all in on the idea that they were going to go full bore to get KD and to get Kyrie and that he was part of that and they weren't going to worry so much about what kind of a coach would he be for the roster that was left over if those guys didn't come. I'm not even going to fault them for that because sometimes you just got to put all your chips in the middle of the table. And I know a lot of a lot of basketball observers will look at that and be like, that's the most irresponsible way to run a basketball organization possible. But on the on the same token, it's like, Really, you have a chance to get like the best, like the I don't know the the second best player of the decade, you know, kind of towards the tail end of his prime. We didn't know he was going to tear his ACL then, and there were like active rumors that he he wanted to come. So, for I don't have an issue with that. Um, and but he's not a good, he's not a great coach. I mean, we don't have to we don't have to we don't have to go into that. There's been no semblance of an offensive system, like you said. My my last point of defense on him, and the thing I keep coming back to, and this is where it gets me back to the 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 you know the guys that put this team together, is are we really sure that the way that Randall? Because again, it all comes back to Randall for me watching this team play. Like he's the first domino. Everything else flows from him. You can't run an offensive system if you have a guy that dominates certain possessions and on the possessions that he doesn't dominate, never moves without the ball and um, isn't a threat from outside. It's like he plays so heavily into what they do and he's playing 32 goddamn minutes a game. Like that's the guy they gave him. And they were like, build around this. Like that's, that's as much on them as it is on him for failing to, you know, like, and, and if it's a thing where it's like, um, like, do we really think he's capable of, of getting Randall to be more accountable for himself in terms of setting screens and moving without the ball? I mean, I, these are questions that I don't know the answers to, but I'm, I'm sure curious about. Yeah, no, I, it's all fair. And, and I think, you know, the other point I wanted to talk through, cause I'm interested in your take is if, if we're evaluating the team, different than just say wins and losses because the the big you know the word that is used more than any word is obviously development right because it's all about you know the Knicks finally have this young core of young players so while none of us expect it because it, it just comes down to this like yes they're bad they're they're terrible they're 4 and 18 but everyone knows that they weren't supposed to be 
you know, that much better this year, right? Like we all thought, okay, if we're lucky, they win, you know, 35, like for once you'd like the Knicks to surprise you, like teams do do that. Like there's expectations for a team to win, you know, 28 games and they actually surprise you win 35. Well, the, Knicks, the, the conversation, the Knicks did it in 2012. They're over under that season was, I want to say 43 and a half and they ended up winning 54 games. They went for, well, a, yeah, that, right. That was the one, that one crazy season out of nowhere. But with the Knicks, it seems like lately, especially it's more of, Let's find what the expectation is to justify like, oh, okay, well, then they're not that far off from how bad we thought they would be. But with the development, if we were to look at the the group of young players, how do you in your mind, I guess, go through, you know, whether it's Frank, whether it's Mitch, whether it's Knox, you know, RJ, because it's so early, I almost want to like put him to the side. But how do you go through from the beginning of last year to where we are now, which still isn't, I mean, it's like a hundred games, so it's still really hard even in that sample size. But do you, are you in your mind able to, I guess, cast any judgment on Fizdale from that standpoint based on where the players have grown or not grown in even that short a time? Um, it's a great question. Um, and of course, the first thing that pops into my head is, um, did you see that uh, RJ liked an Instagram post about the uh, the news that David Fisdale was fired and Mike Miller was hired as the new? Yeah, yeah. I saw someone tagged me about that, but I saw someone comment, doesn't he like every post, which... Last year, I would know if he does or not. I track these things, but now I don't. That, so. That's one area you were not successful, JB. You were never able to get me on Instagram. I mean, I know I'm on Instagram, but I, I don't, I don't, even, I still don't know how to use it. I still never check it. So if anybody here is listening and they've liked, can you message someone on Instagram? I don't even know. Yes, you can send messages on Instagram. And what it is, is a lot of people have moved on there, you know, like just normal people. So it's a good place to actually see pictures of like your friends, families rather than Facebook, uh, you know, political posts. But anyways, go on. (laughs) Um, Well, my apologies to anyone who has tried to get in touch with me on Instagram because I I don't ever go on it. Um, That aside, uh, I mean, let's let's take it like player like so on it on the surface and see this is this is where it gets back we could do a mike and a mad dog right i'll give you the name give me the yeah wait who are you are you are am i so then you'd be mike and by the way was yesterday yesterday was this was that was it right mike is is gone now for good yes that was that was officially it. So, uh, you know, and it, it's so funny because he's become such a caricature now that it's like and a lot of people just kind of despise him. That I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I haven't, I haven't little, listened since he's been back. I, I mean, I'm, I'm no, like working. I, I, I don't either. But I felt it's just more my like nostalgia, the childhood that feels a little bad that like it's sort of and it's his own doing like it's entirely his own doing. But yeah, to yeah. me, it kind of ended in this weird way. But anyways, yeah. So, all right. Let's just start with. Um, I'm going to leave Frank later. So let's start Kevin Knox. So Kevin Knox um, is a raw lump of clay and came in as such and got like I, he 
I don't know. This is where do you do you put stock at the end of a, a meaningless season? He got better the last I want to say fifteen games of last year after he basically looked like an unplayable player for much of for much of the year. Um, and then like towards the end, he started to show little signs so that he was a little bit more knew what he was doing on drives. He, um, you know, uh, he wasn't as out of control. Uh, he was slightly better on, on defense towards the end. And then this year we've watched him and the shot is better. I mean, the shot looks great, um, to his credit. Um, the defense has arguably regressed, and you want to say like, okay, um, progression isn't linear, uh, but at the same time, I was watching him a couple times this week, and I think specifically, I was I I had this thought during the Milwaukee game, and I'm like, I, I was he was in the game, and there were one, two, three, four, five straight possessions where he didn't get the ball, and on the sixth possession, he got the ball, and he had a sliver of daylight. And what did he do? He shot it because when you're 20 years old and you are playing about 15 minutes a game and you've gone several minutes already without seeing the ball and your coach is basically telling you, anytime you get the ball, shoot it. Well, he shot it and, and it missed. It wasn't a great shot. There was a hand in his face. He was a little bit further behind the three-point line than you you would have liked. Um and then I'm pretty sure, you know, he down the other end, even though he made a great block that game, like there was a, you know, a couple of bad defensive possessions. And I started to think to myself, this wouldn't be happening on another team, right? Like he's on a roster in which he hardly ever gets what you would call wide open shots because there's so few other shooters that when he's on the floor, defenses are able to pay extra attention to him. Um, he, the thing he kind of can do besides shoot, which is handle the ball a little bit and drive the lane is always tough because again, the lack of shooting when he drives, there's never any room. So it's almost like, I don't know how to evaluate the ways that this coaching staff did or did not make Kevin Knox better because I, I can't believe I'm the one piling on the fucking front office here in this podcast because the the team put together a semblance of players around him that were not conducive to making him a better player in his second year. So uh, um, incomplete is the grade that I would give. Un- uncertain, undefined. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, and maybe the way to think about it too is, I mean, yeah, so I agree with what you said. I think this year what we've all liked with Knox as well, he hasn't – like you're saying, he's not going to get the same sort of open shots in offense. I think we've liked how he's been able to kind of play more in the flow of the offense this year versus last year. And that is because of a different kind of role he has. And it's hard to decide, is it because, well, last year they put the you know pedal to the metal and we're like we're just going to play you all the time versus this year you know he he was able to kind of come in off the bench and just kind of find himself so then you know I always say it's funny with certain players like that where if a player's like a starting player and he's kind of like um you know and he's the rookie that year and the one everyone's paying attention to it's a lot different versus the guy that everyone's like Oh yeah, like you don't even think about him until suddenly it's in the middle of the game and he hits two threes in a row and you're like, oh yeah, you know, Knox, he's playing great. But really it's like, no, it's because you're just like, you kind of almost forgot about him now. So when he does something good, you weren't thinking about what was he doing like the first 20 minutes or whatever. But, you know, I think the the way, again, with the expectations you can argue of, we said, when do the Knicks finally exceed him? That's sort of 
that's sort of how I look at Knox or how I look at some of these young players of we can probably do the same exercise you just did as we go down the list of it's it's sort of incomplete. But other than I'll say Mitchell Robinson, who, you know, there's there's a lot of, I guess, context added to him with the roster decision. Indeed. But what you're not we're not sitting here like I think the hope. And I know Summer League was stupid that first year of Knox, but we're not sitting here with these guys like, yeah, this guy's clearly going to be an all-star player, right? We're, we're, I think, hoping and justifying that Knox will end up being a good starting NBA player. But I think the concern, and, and I don't know, again, if this is development or just who he is as a player, I think the concern is that... You know, I always break the NBA teams into there's your top three best players and there's the four to seven role role players. Yeah. Or if you want to say four to eight and then the good teams, it really comes down to you got to have that top three. You have to have elite talent. And then that four to eight range is a lot more interchangeable. That's where whether you're, you know, the top team or the bottom team, you can find guys to play four to eight. And my concern is that. You know, guys like Knox, they're more in that four to eight range. Or if I look across this entire core with maybe the exception, obviously, of Barrett, but it's just so early to tell. They're more in that four to eight range. And the question of development might be, are they like on the back of that range where they're more like bench players? Sure. Or are they starters? But I don't know. You know, it's just hard to say, are they going to be more than that and then if they're not while they have a young core of players they're still that's what you could argue is the what's lacking uh from this team building into a competitor competitor is they don't have one of them could have been Christoph Przingis they don't have any players who could be that one to three and I guess we could say putting RJ Barrett aside maybe he is but would you think that's kind of fair I I think it's I think I think RJ, so it's an interesting question you bring up with RJ, right? Because he's like, if you pick a guy top three in the draft, you would certainly hope that he profiles as a guy who could be a top three player on a good team. And I think RJ has that capability, but so. So, because if we moved from Knox, because we're going to go down to the players and we moved to Frank Nielakina, I think he, to me again, for different reasons than Knox, falls within that same category. So with, with Neil Kina, I think he has improved as he's gotten opportunities to improve. So I'm not going to give Fisdale credit for developing him because we, th- you know, I think a lot of people would say I, they've done anything, but actually but, so it's funny. The, okay, okay, I, I, I do have to chime point. in. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to chime yeah. in on that because I was alone on an Island last year when I was defending. And it, this was really tough for me because Frank, I, I loved Frank and I was defending the, when Fisdale was being hard on him and benching him and whatnot, because I'm, I was kind of saying, well, he needs to be more aggressive. He can't be a, a, a primary or even a secondary ball hander in the league if he's not being more aggressive than he's showing. And all of a sudden this year, he has become more aggressive. Still not getting in the lane um, nearly enough, but he's putting up shots when they're open. And what wouldn't you know it, the one bright spot from the Denver game is he, was, he ended up uh, three or four from deep. And... Could it be that, and I, I listen, I understand this is a stretch, but like, 
I don't know. That's one where I'm like, maybe, you know, it, it, it just, it took a while. Like, would that have happened if he had kind of, I don't know, maybe it would have happened anyway over the course of time. But yeah, I don't know. I think there's an argument. Yeah, I guess we could debate that. But I think it happens like with anything like you build confidence, the more reps that you get. So while we talk a lot about, you know, is Fisdale playing RJ Barrett too many minutes or last year with Knox and how much does it matter with Frank? I do think the one thing with with minutes, if we want to put the whole load management and whether or not, you know, I don't think we have a real scientific answer of the more minutes you play, the better you develop. But I, when it comes to confidence, I think in anything you do in life, so if you're doing, say, public speaking, if it's your first time standing in front of a large group of people, you're going to be more nervous probably than if you have done it, you know, like a the politician now, like on a stump speech where you've done that same stump speech over and over, you're more confident. I think with Frank, that's where I think the minutes matter. Cause I think that confidence, it could be, Oh, he learned his lesson because when he went into the game for eight minutes last year and he didn't drive to the hoop and then he got benched now, damn well, sure. Next time he comes in, he's going to drive. Yeah, possible. Or he got to get into a flow. He had like a good game. And then the next game, he got the same minutes. He got into a a flow that I think that's where it comes more from Frank. But back to my kind of splitting between the one through three and fourth or seven, it's like it's kind of ironic because we obviously have been big fans of Frank on an account. And I think some people read that to think we think that Frank was going to be this like elite player in a league. And it's like, no, it's just because the team hasn't had much elite talent. Frank's a player that, you know, it's been questionable how he's been used. So he generates a lot of conversation because some people think he's not even four through seven range in the rotation. He's like the back of the bench. But to me, he's always been, again, that key role player that if you have really good players around him, then his value comes, you know, his value comes out. And that's why I guess I'm trying to partly so we're not talking, uh, you know, all morning on the pod. I'm trying to, I guess, combine two points of going through each player on whether they've developed or not, but then also kind of slotting them where I think they would be on a competitive team in their rotation. And then using that to say, where are we today? Kind of bigger than Fizdale when we say, yeah, this team is you know, different than Knicks teams in the past. They have a group of young players. They have future draft picks. Well, those are, that's categorizing what they have. But I think in terms of, you know, how... Um, yeah, th- there's grades to that. There's gradients. Exactly. There you go, right. Yeah, no, and I, look, I, I'm not going to belabor the point because you you hit the nail on the head. I guess as you were having that conversation and I'm I'm thinking to myself, okay, so like... Whatever you think about Frank, I mean, I guess there's some people who think he's like not an NBA player, but most people are have come around to at least acknowledge that the fact that there's there's enough good there that, um, you know, he could help a team. And whether you think R.J. Barrett tops out as the second best player on a really good team, third best, fourth best, um, whatever, same thing. There's a player there. Um, Mitchell Robinson, same thing. Kevin Knox, I mean, even for all of his struggles, I mean, his shooting stroke is so good that if he literally was nothing more than um, an upmarket version of Steve Novak and that was his destiny and he could at least, you know, put him at the four later in his career, slide him on the least threatening um, offensive player, like even that's a guy that will will generate value 
um, on the floor needs to improve his defense a little bit. But like there's even Dotson and I, you know, I know people like to dismiss Dotson, but I think there's, there's still a play there. There's, there's good stuff there to your point of what, like what they lack in terms of high end. I think that is to a certain extent, a, a matter of luck. Obviously the, the Christoph's Porzingis situation, we don't need to go down that road again. That's a whole other thing um, about whether he could or should still be here. So I, I guess my greater concern, and we could kind of kind of end up, you know, uh, with this is the discussion is, and this ties into Fizz, it ties into the front office, it ties into everything. Where, and I think this has become clearer as the games have been played. Because it, let me, I'm going to take just take a quick step back. What I got annoyed by over the summer was. Anybody who was like, why would you sign all of these players? Your young players need time. These these veterans are just going to get in the way of those young players who need time. And I was always like, well, that's ridiculous because if you, the, it's better to put young players in an environment where even if they play a few less minutes, where their lives are made easier on the floor and theoretically bringing in talented players – helps make those young players' lives easier. Now, it has not transpired that way because of the particular mix of, of guys that they brought in and because Fisdale was not best suited to um, amplify the strengths of those players to the extent that they have them in a meaningful way on this roster. The, the point that I want to make, though, and what I failed to look at and, and pay close enough attention to was that you need to still it's not just about putting players on the floor and 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 making your young players lives easier you need to start to think long term about what system what what is going to amplify the strengths of the young players that we have here and that's the thing and I don't know if this goes more on the front office or more on the coach or just both equally that's the thing that we haven't seen this year like you have a defender in Mitchell Robinson who for all of the concerns about him. And I actually think a lot of the foul concerns are because of how they're using him. And he's out on an Island so much. Like, why don't you build a defense around that guy? Like he's that good. Like the Utah boy built a defense around Rudy Gobert. We have not seen them do that. If anything, we've seen them utilize a defense, which minimalizes Mitchell Robinson's strengths this year. And it's, 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 uh, you know, a complete lack of consent. Now, if you're, you're telling me like, oh, we're just getting him more reps uh, in like these like trapping situations because he's going to need to learn that too. Like, I, I, I'm not buying it. I, I want to see from day one of this year a system that amplifies his strengths. Same thing on the other end of the court. You have a guy in RJ Barrett who like, I don't know what he's going to be. I don't know what he's going to top out on. But that guy is a guy who is a going to be a positional nightmare in terms of other teams having to uh, d- uh, defend him and oppose him if you utilize him in the right way and start to accentuate his strengths, which is basically that he's the guy who's a size of a power forward that has some, you know, lead ball handler skills and has a, a way about him around the rim. Like, we haven't seen enough of those strengths um, amplified on that end. And it's like, what? You know, I hate to sound like a, a, a fucking 
you know, tabloid pundit, but like, where's the, where's the evidence of, of the plan here? That's what we have not seen this year. And may have, you know, there's a long way to get to the ultimate, I guess, point that people are maybe looking for commentary on in this, in this podcast, which is that maybe that's the thing Mike Miller brings, um, because he has more experience with it. I don't know. Yeah. And that's, that's a question. Funny enough, I was, uh, talking to Bork about this a couple of weeks ago of, I don't, it's really hard. I think for us fans to know, like when we talk about development, <clears throat> we don't have a cough button. We're not, uh, <laughs> we're not fancy like that. no, we're not there. Yet. Um, <laughs> when, uh, you know, the thing that I'm interested in, because as you know, I happen to also be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, and it's really ridiculous how closely these two franchises have sort of followed um, over the last 20 years or so the, the history of each other. The Leafs also fired a coach this year, but they had much higher expectations. But I bring that up because there's this really good article that came out when they hired their replacement of their coach. Um, and he came up from the same thing. So Mike Babcock was the Leafs coach. They fired him. They hired a guy, Sheldon Keefe, who was the coach of essentially the minor league team for the Leafs. And there's this really good article that the, the Leafs allowed this reporter to kind of get behind the scenes and see all the things that the, the new staff was doing in the first uh, week in terms of development. So meaning during practice, which just like an NBA, there's not a ton of time for practice. And usually it's just a quick, you know, skate. They were actually had different people, different developed people hired on the team to work on skill development with players on the ice. The head coach, the new head coach, Sheldon Keefe, was standing to the side and he was letting all of his skills coaches work with players on more what you would call development things. And they went through kind of all of, like I said, all of the differences they did with Babcock, who was more kind of an old-fashioned coach. And I guess with the Knicks, what I'm interested in with Mike Miller is that same sort of theme of we know the success he's had in Westchester, but what we don't know as fans is like, what is he doing? Like when we say, oh, he'll be good to develop the kids. Well, what, yeah. It sounds great. It sounds great. Right. But what is he doing different? Do we see things in practices? You know, are we going to, is there things that come out before it's even in a game that we know that they're invested in development are, you know, and that's, that's where, again, I think it's incomplete until maybe we know fully, I guess they could hire uh, McKinsey again to tell them what to do. But like, if the Knicks are going to talk about their, (laughs) that's the answer. That's the it. We should we should start a firm like that, and the Knicks the Knicks can hire us to come in. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. Anyway, but no, I I guess I'm just saying that I think that it's this is where again it's wider than Fizdale is just saying like, well, if you're gonna if you truly are rebuilding and the plan, because back to your point about the plan, the plan is to build through the draft and slowly develop these players, which I don't think was really their plan. I'm still convinced. If they had gotten Kevin Durant, they would have traded a lot of these young pieces to to create a more win-now team around him. But if the plan is truly built through the draft, you have to see it in other areas. Investment in development like we saw with the Sixers where they brought in an army of people to help build these guys up. We haven't – it's it's possible they're doing this and somehow none of us know because they operate a, a lot of well, times. Well, but Vork had but it in his piece. Have. Vork had it in his piece that I think maybe he mentioned to you. Uh, it was a piece a week or two ago talking about I think the Sixers have like an 11-man 
is it the Sixers or maybe it was one of the teams that don't have a G League squad um, that have like an 11 man development staff or something? Yeah. Right. That's yeah. what he said. Yep. Yeah. That like the listen. I'm, I I now have seen behind the curtain. Nick, there's 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 no eleven man development staff uh, walking around the garden. Um. That that's not that's not there. No. Right. And I think when like I said when we talk about the plan of developing through the draft, I think there just needs to be more uh, to that for me to completely believe that. And I and I think. The other part, I guess I'll, I'll kind of dovetail on that, and maybe this is the last point because whenever someone is fired, it's always like, well, what's next? I think we all agree Miller right now is more on that interim tag, and and uh, we'll see what happens if they decide at the end of the year to go you know, fresh all the way from the top. If they do bring in what we all want, a top exec from, a, from another team that they clean house and they're starting all over – I think what's going to be interesting is for a lot of us Knicks fans who has who have been the one thing we've been excited about with Mills Perry is the fact that you know they haven't traded draft picks, they've held on to these young players and that all sounds great, but I can guarantee you when a new front office comes in, they aren't just going to take this roster and say, "Okay, now we're just going to slowly run it out with them." They are going to make some drastic moves because they're going to want to design the team to their liking. And that's fine. And and that's right. I guess that's what I'm getting at is I think what fans are going to have to think about is that's what you do. And that to me is what I think is missing sometimes in the debate of yes, Mills Perry deserve credit for not making dumb moves, but you can't just live forever on. I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to keep being bad, keep picking in the lottery. And as long as I don't sign another big, bad contract and I just pick in the lottery every year, eventually my team is good. No, the teams that are good, if you look at the top of the standings, they're teams that made a lot of actual bold moves. It's just as Knicks fans, we have this, you know, PSD about any move that they make. And that's the biggest reason why I don't trust this front office is because I think it's a lot easier to just acquire lottery picks if you're just bad and you don't trade them than it is to either A, develop them, but the part we haven't talked about, B, use them to improve your teams through a trade, which like I said, probably will happen if you bring in a new front office. Well, look, I mean, the the fact is there's assets here and the, this is a league ultimately about asset maximization. That's what that's what it is. It's 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 the it's the stock market except it's players. Um shout out to Prediction Strike. Um it, it, there are assets here that as ha- often happens with this team are being actively devalued this year. So if nothing else you want Mike Miller to come in and begin to up the the asset valuation of of those players. That's the first thing. The second thing I'll say in terms of just what you were talking about before and like in development and is the development happening? If anyone had any questions about how seriously the development of this team was a priority, I mean, I I hate to throw this out there, but I I, I can't help myself. Who was Dennis? What was the biggest adjustment that Dennis Smith Jr. needed to make between last season and this season? 
The biggest adjustment that Dennis what was the Smith biggest Jr. change that theoretically Dennis Smith Jr. needed. To well, he was working with uh, with, Port, with Keith Smart, who we didn't there even you mention, go. right? De- Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> Dennis Dennis Smith Jr. was supposedly a jump shot away from being a at the very least middle of the road point guard, and they had him work with Keith Smart all summer to develop that jump smart jumps jump shot and key smart lost his damn job yesterday i'm not saying key smart should have kept his job or lost his job i have no honestly i really don't have an opinion on it but the fact that he was let go after he was tasked with improving the supposed missing part of your supposed big trade return from the deal that sent away the best young player the franchise has seen in the last 20 years well none of that is a very good look I was just going to say with Keith Smart, I, I sometimes wonder when a guy like that goes, if there's also a loyalty degree, right? Like, you ever wonder if he's like, all right, if Fizz goes, I go type of thing? Um, I read, I think I remember reading somewhere uh, before Fizz was fired that if if he went, Smart was likely to go with him. Um, So, yeah, I okay, think, so I think there was probably a loyalty thing there, yeah. Um, yeah, no, there could have been. Regard- anyways, go on. Regardless, I mean, it's still. <laughs> right, but I get the point. The point it's is still, still not a great look. I, I'm just kind of like thinking out loud on that, but I guess the, the point is still there. It's that another sign that you're not really fully invested into the guys that you're trying I, to use to. Yeah, and unless I mean, you're saying Smart didn't do a good enough job developing him. And, you know, the other way you can look at all this is you're saying, all right, yeah, they picked the wrong coach, but they at least they're not going to just say be stubborn about their decision and wait forever. They're going to say, all right, we didn't feel like there was enough development. So let's bring in the right guys but, to develop. Them. Yeah, I mean, but you could say that. And and again, the, the reason Smart was working with him on his shot was because they don't employ a shooting coach, which is something that is often mentioned by Dave Early in our in our Slack and on, on Twitter. Uh, shout out to Dave. Um, you know, whose decision is that? Did David Fisnell not want a shooting coach on his staff? Did he, you know, opine that? Keith by the Smart- way, I got to I got to interrupt because I just I just put it out as we're talking. And again, it's it's Frank Isola, but he was the one who said last week that it would either be Mike Miller or Pat Sullivan who replaced uh Whoa. Isn't a big guess, but you're you're reading it now. So after the season, Steve Mills will quote either be reassigned or simply removed from the building, according to Frank Isola. That this that this will this will happen? It's already been decided. I'm scrolling through the article right now. He, he yeah, in the article, he's just saying, according to sources, that he will either be reassigned or removed from the building. It was weird because he didn't put he didn't put right next to the quote the timing, but I mean he's he's basically suggesting at the end of this season. So that'll be a good way to that'll be a good way to um, coincide with the last point that I wanted to make. I can't. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the, the the most unpopular thing in New York right now, which goes against everything you've been saying for the last month. I'm going to defend Steve Mills. Do you know why I'm going to defend Steve Mills, JB? What is no? What is Steve, <laughs> what is Steve? What is what has? What is the one thing Steve Mills has been able to do? This is not a trick question. What has he been able to do since he's been here? What's the first answer that pops into your head? Lose. <laughs> You're a terrible person. He's been able to keep his job, right? 
He's been able to keep right. his job. Everybody always, you know, talks about the the decisions that he's made. He's in power and he is tasked with making those decisions because he's a guy that Dolan trusts one and two um like Dolan, like he knows how to deal with Dolan. He knows how to appease Dolan in a certain way. If he like if you're in a job and you're in a position where you know if you do X, Y, and Z, that X, Y, and Z might work out, X, Y, and Z might not work out, but at the very least, X, Y, and Z is going to keep you employed for another day longer. Um, is that on the guy doing X, Y, and Z, or is that on the guy who is hiring the person to do X, Y, and Z? That's my – I'm not – listen, I'm not defending Steve Yeah, Moses. I guess I, I'll just come back to this. With Phil Jackson – Whatever you want to say about his record. I think and, and that's where I was going to go next, by the way, with Phil. So this is good. The thing that people liked about that hire, as fa- I'll say as fans, was he was a big enough basketball personality that you truly actually did believe that even if Dolan tried to meddle, Phil Jackson could stop that from happening. Yes, Meaning it wasn't like a loyalty, loyalist stopping it from happening by being like, oh, well, like I know. By signing Jim, Julius so Randle to three years, $63 million. Right. It's like true. So I think that the indictment to me with um, with Mills in terms of his willingness or his ability to survive is that to survive, you assume that he has to appease Dolan in a certain way. So even if you put everything else to the to the side of Mills and you just focus on the standpoint of if your true concern is Dolan, then no, some people think, oh, well, then Steve Mills is good because he knows how to handle Dolan. I look at it as, no, that's why you need um, a guy who is a bigger personality oh, I couldn't agree than more. Um, MSG guy, right? I, I couldn't agree more. And that's why it was a perfect situation. You had Mills there as the kind of the 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 Dolan comfort object I'll call him and you had Phil there as the basketball guy who was going to make the basketball decisions and Dolan was wise enough um to be like oh I have a real basketball person in here now that can work with the guy that I trust um and it was a good situation except for the fact that Phil Jackson was a 70-year-old man who was trying to run a basketball team for the first time and didn't quite know how to do that and immediately came in pissed off everybody in the league pissed off agents pissed off you know anyone that could be pissed pissed off his own star player pissed off everybody and you know let's put aside some of the even the, the, the trades that he made were were not great trades at the timing of the trades selling assets at their low like all of the mistakes that he made were obvious and there's a reason why Phil Jackson is not employed anymore and he shouldn't be employed anymore based on based on what he did and what he didn't do but what I was thinking about before when you were talking about the dream scenario of an of a basketball executive coming in and being bold that's the that's the thing that Phil Jackson did right. He came in here. He's like, I'm going to run this system, and I'm going to bring in these players to run this system, and this is how we're going to do it, and I'm going to stick by uh, this. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, and that's right, what right. needs so to happen. So whatever you thought about the triangle, at least he had a system and players yeah, that fit the and, system. And, yeah, right. And yeah. you always go back to talking about, well, you know, the one defense of Dolan is he owns the Rangers too. And that is a fact. And that's why for as much as I shit on Dolan is for, and for as much as I on this very podcast have related several things back to Dolan as being the reason why things have been not good with this team. It can work. We have seen it work with the Rangers. We saw it work briefly with the Knicks at the beginning of this decade. And if Phil Jackson was a little bit, maybe 10 years younger, um, and a little bit more knowledgeable about the stuff it takes to run a team, maybe it would have worked then too. And I think it could still work. Um, and, and maybe it could work with Mills in the building. Who knows? Maybe he gets reassigned to be in charge of, uh, I don't know, what? Concessions? Uh, that was the first thing that popped into my well, head. Well, that's uh, I think that's the part that everyone's scary. By the way, on the, on the last news thing as we're talking, Howard Beck just came out with an article where he definitely, uh, I think, subtweets uh, or do you, you're not subtweeting when you're writing in an article, but he, he, he basically says that somehow the Knicks aided by, um, certain media members and fan blogs got the fans to believe that Dolan was no longer meddling. And I'm wondering what fan blogs he could be talking about there. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll give I, you, I just I'll, found that interesting. I'll give you three guesses. Um, and the first don't, I mean, listen, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not saying anything, um, unknown. I mean, he's had several interactions with with people that uh, are under the the Knicks Film School umbrella. Um, you know, yeah, right. No, I know. I it, it there's there's a lot there. But anyways, I'm yeah. I'm reading news as we're talking, which I probably shouldn't. Well, be doing, but uh. no, but listen. Um, <laughs> it, it look it, like, but the you know what the funny thing is, I'm I'm. As you're reading this, as you're reading about Howard Beck talking about fan blogs convincing fans that Dolan is no longer meddling, I've just sat here on an hour-long podcast and for, uh, I think, over the course of a half a dozen uh, times mentioned how Dolan is part of the problem, where I think where I think w- what gets lost is the point that I literally just made, which is that Dolan meddles when he gets antsy and he feels like things aren't going right. And that's a terrible quality and that's a negative thing. And the whole culture of fear and like the toxic environment that Howard Beck came in on this podcast and talked about that you mentioned in a tweet, uh, whatever it was, 24 or 48 hours ago, um, like that exists and that is real and that sucks. And that's not an ideal working environment, but what we have, what we're, what we're, what we're missing is that if things actually went well for a while, which they never have here for long enough, other than that brief stretch at the beginning of this decade, that stuff may all start to subside. Um, and it, it turns into a chicken or the egg conversation. Well, is the Dolan constant meddling the reason why things can't get back on a successful track? Or is it, the you know, it's like you could go round and round in circles on this. But theoretically, if things were just kind of okay for a little bit that maybe those are the first steps that needs to be that need to be taken for there to be real change and and this thing to get on the right path yep no absolutely and the the fact of what i'm hoping because we were if the mets it can happen with the mets uh with new ownership well i mean it can happen that's the dream i know a lot of people saying it's never going to happen but i don't know i i just still think they they are a publicly traded 
company. They're doing the spinoff with the entertainment business, sports business. Like, you know, he does make business moves. So meaning I don't think it's impossible that one day there's a business reason why, um, you know, he could give up, uh, you know, a large ownership stake. But, I, you know, the, the last thing I'll say on the meddling is and why I was actually kind of sk- I was skimming that article to see if there's kind of anything new that suggested that Dolan rather from, than from Mills Beck, you mean? Or, yeah, from Beck, right? And and was there Dolan rather than he? It didn't seem seem that way. Um, I while I was multitasking, I wasn't completely ignoring you, so I didn't get to see every detail. <laughs> I, 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 listen, <laughs> it's it, you've heard it all before. It's fine. Yes, yes, but I was searching for that because I wanted to see if there was anything about you know it was ordered from Dolan to fire Fizdale. But the point is, look at other owners who are successful; they all meddle. The difference is they are smart at what they do and they put people (laughs) around them who are smart what they do. So I think to me, the biggest kind of misconception or the biggest, um, yeah, I guess misconception about the problems with the Knicks with Dolan is, and I guess it's implied, right? It's people saying, oh, he meddles so there, and he doesn't know what he's doing and that's why it's a problem. But I think it's actually written a lot as if, the problem is just the meddling. And I think that is something that's like, yeah, the problem's the meddling because he doesn't know what he's doing. But if a new owner comes in here who's got a big personality, they're going to be mo- probably more involved with Dolan than Dolan, ironically. They're just going to, we're hoping, be smarter about it. So I think, like, I guess I'm just saying, don't get so much lost in that as in who are the people he's putting around him. And I guess my glimmer of hope here at the end is if you put the right people in place, like we've seen with the Rangers for a period of time, you can have success. And I think that is your hope. If you believe you're stuck with Dolan and the team's going to be terrible forever, if they have the right people, they should be able to, and, and they get lucky somewhere where, you know, you get a player that, you didn't expect to be good and becomes good that they've had a couple times. It won't, it won't take a lot. It could happen quick. You can be good. If they get, right. listen, you can be at least competitive. They get, if they get the first, I mean, look, I, who the hell knows what's going to happen in the lottery, but if they end up with the first or second or third pick, and I, I honestly don't even know more than two or three of the names at the top of the lottery. Um, uh, but like, if they get some, if they get a real like a, a true like primary ball handler who could do some stuff and and actually shoot the the damn ball, um, and put it on this roster and like you know they bring it you know let's say it's Sam Presti wants um to make uh Phil Jackson money, um or or Daryl Morey or or fuck Sam Hinkie who I'd love uh, if he came here I mean, um, any of these guys. Um, and it's a guy with real, it has to be a guy with real gravitas, right? And it has to be someone that like, and, and that's, and that's the thing is Dolan has kept Steve Mills around and Steve Mills has been making basketball decisions, which is maybe not his, (laughs) maybe not his strength, um, as well-meaning as he is. And I, and I, and I, and and as much as I think he's done certain things right and made some smart decisions, it's just, this is a, a, a league where there's only 30 teams. And if you're, even if you're good or, you know, maybe a little bit better than good, when you're going up against the best of the best, if you're not if you're not the best yourself, you're going to get taken advantage of, and it's going to look really, really bad. Even if you're ten or fifteen or twenty percent behind the curb, um, 
so yeah, it, it it needs to be someone who who has that gravitas and and who he just sits back and he's like, all right, you know, take the next take the next five years. I'm gonna I'm not, I'm gonna go away now. Um, you know, we'll see if that happens. I don't know. We'll see. Well, JB, we always we ended on a positive note. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, we found the positive note, and I, well, I think the timing was. I mean, like I said, it's with the past week and everything. I mean. I think two weeks ago we would have had maybe a, a little more. I was looking forward to having like a more debate style podcast, but I think we're, uh, I think we've reached sort of the same, the same point. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're on, we're, we're, listen, there's a reason we work well together. Um, that, that said, I'm going on with, uh, me and Jeremy are going to do, I think like a crossover pod of sorts tomorrow with, uh, Schwinn and Drew, um, in which, that could be very interesting. Um, yes. Oh, um, well, I, and we're going to get into some of the other, some other periphery stuff. Like I, um, I'm not going to go on for too much longer, but like I got on the Knicks about the, the PR release about, um, Richard Jefferson. Yep. As today, you know, um, Oh, and, Richard Jefferson. I well, no, I, I, I thought you were about so that, and, yeah, and I, I got on them about the PR release yesterday that where they didn't even say, we thank coach Fisdale for his service. Um, and to me, this is just like, look, this is easy stuff. Like, you, you, this is just basic, you know, and, and, and when you want to, and, and just to, one final thing on Dolan, when you, when you talk about, well, you know, maybe it never getting better under Dolan, it's, it's, it's petty shit like this because we know damn well that the reason they didn't say something nice about Fisdale on the PR release is because Dolan said, if you say a nice fucking word about that man on his way out the door after he's won 20 games for me and I have to pay him a million dollars per win, it's your, it's your ass. Like that's the stuff that, that gets you, um, you know, concerned. Um, yep. but, but again, hopefully he stays out of his own way long enough. We'll see. Um, JB, thanks so much. Uh, I'll, I'll say the same thing I, I say to everybody before I let them go. Anything you want to plug or promote before you get out of here? <laughs> I'm plugging my retirement. That has that, that's not total retirement from a uh, mixed film school. You're retired like Francesa retired, which is funny because <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. we talked about this last time. Oh God, you can't write this stuff. All right. Um, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go. We're, we're going into the city today to see the tree with our uh, with Scarlet Ray, and uh, do some family activities in the city for Christmas. So we're, I may actually miss the beginning of the game tonight. First, first Knicks action I'll, I'll missed all year. Uh, watch they come out and win by like 25. <laughs> well, um, the first game when you get a new coach, I've always said because I always hate playing that team. You know where the oh, yeah. team fires a and you get that first game and it's like, oh, yeah. that's probably an automatic loss. But um, all right, no, enjoy that. We're actually cutting down the tree to put to put ah. in first time a new house. So it's a Christmas tree day. Congratulations. Um, I wish you luck with, uh, are you, you doing a handsaw? Are you doing a uh, chainsaw? What are, you, what are you doing? Well, it's actually funny. I used to always go with my friend because he would, you know, he would bring his saw and cut it down and, you know, because I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm coming along for the walk. I don't need to cut this thing down, <laughs> but now it's just me. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to pretend I'm, you know, a manly man can actually cut down the tree. We'll see. Well, um, we'll see how that goes. the difference between you and me is I don't even try to pretend, uh, that that's, that's <laughs> it was, it was, exactly it. It, it was home, de- it was home Depot all the way for me this year. Yeah. 
yeah, that that might be what it ends up being. Uh, well, good 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 luck pretending. Um, thanks for thanks for coming on. This was fun as always. Uh, everybody out there, um, thanks for for chiming in or not chiming in. Sorry, uh, tuning in, and uh, we will be back with you with another episode uh, shortly, like tomorrow. And then uh, I got something else. I think early next week. So we got a, a busy slate coming up. Um, and uh, everybody enjoy your weekend. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.